Welcome to the Get Writing Podcast. I'm your host, Liz McGavro, and I'm just so happy to be here. So this is actually the very first episode of this podcast, and this has been a long time coming. I've been wanting to find more ways to connect with other writers, the people who are interested in writing and reading and books, and really introduce different types of conversations about writing into the podcast universe and You know, selfishly, I can't have enough conversations with other writers about all things writing. So I love podcasts, so it seemed like a no-brainer. So what is the Get Writing Podcast all about? So first, let me tell you about me. As I said, my name is Liz McGavro. My name is also Kate Conti. I'm a mystery author who writes under two names. I currently write three series in the cozy genre, and I'm working on a suspense novel along with my next cozy. So, but here's my secret. The darker side of the mystery genre is really my first love. I grew up mesmerized by Dennis Lehane, Jonathan Kellerman, Patricia Cornwell, Sue Grafton, so many others. But even before that, I was one of those kids who kind of worried her parents. I was pretty obsessed with serial killers and all the murders that made the big headlines. The very first research paper I ever wrote was about the Charles Stewart case that happened in Boston right in my backyard in 1989. For those of you from the Boston area, you might remember it. It was a classic story about a bad guy murdering his pregnant wife and accusing a black man of the crime. Stewart later jumped off the Tobin Bridge when cops caught on, finally, that the whole thing was, in fact, a sham. I was fascinated. I was fascinated because, really, of the why. That's really, you know, I think my parents worried about me because I loved murder mysteries so much, but it wasn't the actual murder that I loved. It was the really understanding the psychology of why people did the things that they did. Um, And just the idea of being able to explore that in stories, just like I've always, always loved and wanted to do that. So I was fascinated. I credit my grandfather really for my obsession with all things crime. He was a police detective in the 60s and 70s, and though he never told me any of the really hairy things he must have seen and done, I was always asking questions about those life experiences. And he also gets the credit for, you know, inherit, for me inheriting my storytelling abilities. He definitely was a quintessential storyteller, not in written form, but verbally. But he'd always have a story for me and my brother, usually a funny one, and he just was so good at it. He could just capture your attention. He could suck you right in. I loved it, and I wanted to be able to do that for others. I was also one of those kids who knew exactly what I wanted to be when I grew up. I wanted to be a writer. I wanted to be an author. I wanted to write books. I used to read everything I could get my hands on. When I could type, I would sit at my mother's old typewriter and type out chapters of Danielle Steele novels just to see what it felt like. I was totally hooked. I loved it. Um, I remember in, I think it was fifth grade, that I wrote an essay about me being a New York Times bestselling author. It's just, it's always what I wanted to do. I was very lucky in the sense of I knew what I wanted and I had like that North Star to always move toward. But my parents thought I should have a plan B when I went to college. And that's a whole other episode for another day. Um, But I held steadfast to my English major communications minor, which was, you know, just what I knew I wanted to do. And then I went to grad school for writing and publishing. And it was there that I wrote my first novel, which was my thesis. And it was terrible. It will never see the light of day, although it does live somewhere in the Emerson College Library, much to my dismay. But the experience itself and the feeling of accomplishment was really amazing. I mean, I wrote a 300-plus page novel, like, in a semester. I don't think at the time I even realized how awesome that was. But looking back, 
you know, ha never having done it before, it was a pretty big accomplishment. And to be honest, those characters still pop up in my mind every now and then. So maybe they'll make a return in a different novel. But it was after grad school when I was wondering what to write that I realized I love mysteries. So why wouldn't I write them? So I jumped in with both feet. I started my first mystery novel. And in the meantime, I researched mystery conferences. And I actually found one in my own backyard. It was called the New England Crime Bake. And it was really the conference that changed my life. It was there that I learned so much about the publishing industry. I learned about my craft. I got to learn about all kinds of forensic stuff. They, you know, they brought in experts for every conference that talked about blood spatter and, you know, gunshot patterns and all of those things. Um, I met other crime writers, you know, both famous and, and ones just starting out like me and just generally felt like I had found my home there. I loved it. I started going to that conference when I was like 27 years old and I didn't miss a year until COVID shut everything down a few years ago. It was where I learned how to pitch. Um, I met my idol, Dennis Lehane there. I got my first contract with a real publishing house because of the connections I made with Sisters in Crime, which um, used to sponsor the event. I met my blog mates there and we've been blogging together for the past 10 years. So we're going to talk all about conferences and communities in future episodes, but I had to mention this one now because it was such a pivotal step on my path. So in 2011, I got an opportunity to write a cozy mystery proposal and three series, two pen names, and 18 books later, here we are. And it was right around the time of COVID that I started really reflecting on this journey, how I got from that first conference to where I am today. And I thought about all the aspiring writers that I know that I had met over the years, writers who didn't know where to begin either in the actual writing or in the mystifying land of publishing, which really is still mystifying even when you're in it. So <laughs> I don't know that that's something I'll be demystifying, but it's certainly something we can talk about. Um, and we will, because there's so many people who can talk in depth about the publishing business. I can talk about my own experiences, but it's, it's really, it's an interesting business. Um, I'm grateful to be part of it, but it definitely is a little mystifying. So but all of this, you know, that's the neat and tidy part of the story. And then there's the rest of the story. There's the part of the story where I spun my own wheels for years because I didn't believe in myself. And this was exacerbated by the people that I surrounded myself with at the time. I was constantly fighting an inner battle of knowing I was meant to be a writer with self-doubt, with people who kept encouraging me to live in the real world that, you know, nobody really makes a living as a writer. I didn't have a community that could bolster me in the truth of what I knew I wanted to be and what I could be. Um, so it was a struggle for a long time. And then someone introduced me to The Artist Way by Julia Cameron, which set me on the path of, to use Julia's words, creative recovery. So I just want to read a couple of passages from this book, which has made such a difference in my life. So Julia says, there is no such thing as being done with an artistic life. While there is no quick fix for instant pain-free creativity, creative recovery or discovery is a teachable, trackable, spiritual process. When we engage in creative recovery, we enter into a withdrawal process from life as we know it. She says, many of us find that we have squandered our own creative energies by investing disproportionately in the lives, hopes, dreams, and plans of others. Their lives have obscured 
and detoured our own. As we consolidate a core through our withdrawal process, we become more able to articulate our own boundaries, dreams, and authentic goals. Our personal flexibility increases while our malleability to the whims of others decreases. We experience a heightened sense of autonomy and possibility. So I love this concept because, I mean, it was exactly what I had experienced. Um, you know, I had spent my life just basically letting other people tell me what was possible for myself and just not believing in the things that I knew I could accomplish. Um, and even though I was writing all this time, you know, as I was dealing with all of these feelings, um, I wasn't living to my full potential. I wasn't getting things done that I knew I could get done. And, you know, this book helped put me on the path to getting there. And she also says, creative recovery is about recognizing, nurturing, and protecting your inner artist. So someone handed me this book, I dove into it, and, you know, anyone who's gone through the book will know it wasn't easy. It's not an easy book to get through. It's not a book you just read and say, oh, that's nice. It's a book that you do. Just like your creative endeavors, it takes time and commitment and dedication. It takes bravery. So much of this work is about bravery. It's about being honest about the things, people, beliefs in your life that aren't serving you. It's about admitting that you may need to adjust your thinking about certain things. It's acknowledging painful things that have happened to you and understanding how they impacted you so you can begin to move past them and create what's rightfully yours to create. So I did the, the book a few times. So there's a lot of exercises in it. There's a lot of journaling. There's, you know, basic foundational principles like morning pages and artist dates that we'll talk about. So it's, it's a lot of work and it takes time to, it takes a, you have to schedule it in. You have to make sure you're getting to it um, in order for it to, to help you in the way that it's meant to help you. And I had a lot of aha moments as I worked through it. I worked through a lot of things that happened to me that affected the way I moved in the world, the limits I put on myself, the fears that I brought to every experience, the ways I played small and didn't let myself believe in me. And she's right when she says there's no such thing as being done with an artistic life. There's always something new to uncover about the reasons why we all get blocked. And again, this isn't like you're blocked, you do the work, you get unblocked, and then you live happily ever after. I wish. But this is more like you're blocked, you do the work, you get a little unblocked, you do more work, you get a little more unblocked, <laughs> then maybe something else happens and you get blocked all over again. It's very cyclical and it's a journey. And I've been on the creative recovery journey now for about 17 years. And I can't tell you the people I meet who say, I started a book once, but I never finished it. Or I wanted to write a book, but you know, maybe someday. Or I have no idea where to start, but I just have this calling, like I really want to write a book. So I started thinking that I had to use my experiences to help other people who wanted to write, whether it was eventually for a living or simply because it gave them pleasure. My journey has been long and it's not over. I've used a lot of tools besides Julia Cameron's. I've adapted them all to work for me and I've kind of meshed them all together. I've learned a lot. I've had successes. I've had setbacks. I've had frustration. But the one thing that will always be true is that we can't stop being creative if that's what we're called to do. Like our souls will die if we do. I know this because it was happening to me all those years ago. I mean, I could literally feel my soul dying because I just, I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. 
Um, I had no idea how to do it. I had no idea where to do it. And I just didn't have the support I needed to do it. So I know what it's like. Um, and that's my goal with the work that I'm doing and with this podcast is to help writers feel less alone, to be a voice offering new ideas on how to create a writing life that you love, to bring new conversations and new voices to the table and have some fun because creativity is supposed to be fun. And don't we all need a little more fun in our lives? I think we do. So as someone who's always loved writing, who knows what it feels like to want it more than anything, but also knows about how it is to feel daunted about how to get there, I want to help people reach their creative potential. As someone who's always loved writing, who knows what it feels like to want it more than anything, who knows what it feels like to feel really daunted about how to get there, I want to help people reach their creative potential. So I was blessed. I've had a lot of help along the way. I've been fortunate to have learned from amazing teachers and mentors who supported me. I found a community, both in Sisters in Crime, to my own small writing community, my wicked authors, who you'll hear more about and probably meet on this pod. They're my writer friends who are my ride or dies. Honestly, like these ladies are everything to me. And I know not everyone has access to those things or or doesn't know where to find them. And I want to change that. Writing itself is hard, and the business of writing for those who are in it or trying to get in it is even harder. It's enough to make people want to give up or not even start at all. I've seen people's spirits crushed. I've seen them walk away feeling defeated from conferences or, you know, events or talks that are supposed to be motivating, and it breaks my heart. And we're going to change that one creative soul at a time. So I hope you'll join me on this journey. I'm going to have guests. We're going to do solo episodes talking about all things writing, creative process. Um, I built my framework around three pillars. So the first is the creative practice, which is actually doing the work. The next is the creative process, which is how to do the work. And that includes things like creative recovery and mindset. And then there's the creative tools. And this covers everything from writing software to which crystals are the best for creativity. And yes, fair warning, there will be woo in this podcast. So if this sounds like your jam, hit subscribe so you don't miss an episode. Got lots of goodies coming at you, and I don't want you to miss it. I'm so excited that you're tuning in. Thank you, and I'll see you next week. Mm